In the second game of the June tune-up window ahead of the 2022 World Cup, the U.S. men's national team took on their strongest opposition yet, the vaunted Uruguay, a team that finished third in South America and is currently ranked, I believe, right outside of the top 10 in the FIFA ranking system, whatever you want to call it. Now, all that being said, Uruguay was missing some of their top players. Uh, however, they did come in later in the game, and the team that Uruguay put on the field still represented some of the toughest competition that the U.S. has faced, certainly outside of World Cup qualifying. The game went, it was a it was a back and forth affair. The U.S. had their moments. Uruguay certainly had theirs. The U.S. could have won it. The Uruguay could have won it. Neither team was able to finish their chances, and we were left with a 0-0 draw. However, that's not the only thing that we were left with. There were some major storylines that I think came to fruition in this game, and there's some things that we can take and bring forward with us as we head towards the World Cup. And I think the majority of those things are very exciting, and I'm really excited to bring you these five key takeaways from the USA versus Uruguay on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is the Yank Report. It's the show where we talk about the U.S. men's national team. If you're into that, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We are well on our way on this road to Qatar, and I think excitement around the U.S. men's national team is just about at an all-time high right now. And one of the key reasons why everybody is so excited, I think, for my money, is my first key takeaway. It's a player that I had my doubts about, uh, certainly after World Cup qualifying, wondering how he was going to fare against teams like Morocco and Uruguay. And I think he really came up big and proved all the doubters wrong. But first, here is a word from today's sponsor. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including the latest odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join or use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Walker Zimmerman has been an interesting story for the U.S. Men's National Team throughout the uh, Greg Berhalter tenure. Whenever he made the Gold Cup team, there were a few national team fans out there wondering why this guy was brought in over some others. Once he got on the field in the Gold Cup, he proved to be a pretty reliable center back. Maybe not the most heralded center back of the bunch. I think Miles Robinson came out of that uh, as the most heralded center back. But as a player that deserved to be a part of the group. Moving forward, he wasn't initially part of Greg Berhalter's plans in World Cup qualifying, but after some shakeup in the center back position, Walker Zimmerman got his opportunity in World Cup qualifying and I think didn't let go. Uh, I think his play throughout World Cup qualifying was absolutely solid, but I do think it's fair to ask outside of World Cup qualifying how he was going to fare once we started seeing tougher opposition at the World Cup level. Uh, this friendly window presented us an opportunity to see Walker Zimmerman up against some really quality attackers and some really quality opposition in Morocco and Uruguay and boy did he not come through he played 90 minutes against both Morocco and Uruguay and I think particularly in this Uruguay game we saw uh, just how strong Walker Zimmerman can be let's go straight to the statistics because the statistics are pretty damn good Uh, his passing in this game was uh, 51 out of 58 for 88 percent he had five out of seven long balls uh, he was dispossessed zero times. He won two out of three tackles. He had three blocks. He was five out of six for ground duels and two out of four for aerial duels. So all in all, just kind of a rock in defense. And, and I think 
the thing that we weren't really expecting from Walker Zimmerman whenever he came into the national team was the ability with the ball at his feet. Uh, we knew that he could be a very strong and physical center back. Uh, but what he's really shown is not only being competent with the ball at his feet, but being the main distributor uh, for the U.S. men's national team in the buildup. Uh, some of his balls over the top, particularly the ball to Christian Pulisic against Morocco, was picture perfect. But he had another one in this game to Christian Pulisic. And then there was the ball, uh, I believe, once again, to Christian Pulisic in the Panama game over the top that were all three very similar situations. And uh, Walker Zimmerman has has shown the ability to hit those over and over again. Um, I, I think his bi- ability in the distribution, I think his leadership on and off the field, uh, and I think his commanding presence uh, as a physical body and as a very athletic center back um, ha- has been absolutely invaluable for the U.S. Men's National Team. Now, I don't know if anyone stepped up and filled the shoes of Miles Robinson yet, and I do wonder if Chris Richards is going to be able to step in and seize that position out of long CCV and EPB. I think you know there are a lot of hot takes about those defenders right now, but I have a feeling a lot of those takes represent the same takes that people had coming in. If you didn't like long before this window, you probably still don't like long. If you love CCV, if you loved EPB, you probably think that they were great. I don't know. There's not a lot for me to separate those guys, but what I do know is Walker Zimmerman has shown himself to be that main guy. He's going to be on the field come Qatar in November. My second key takeaway is going to be highlighting another player that I think has kind of been a little bit unheralded, uh, but has been an absolutely integral part of the squad and just continues to grow in importance as the games go on. And that is Eunice Musa. Uh, Eunice Musa's impact on this game against Uruguay was absolutely tremendous. Uh, Often, Eunice Musa, in sort of a different tactical wrinkle in this particular game, uh, whereas often whenever we'd see uh, the buildup with two center backs and the fullbacks push forward, we would see a three-man midfield, um, and and that was sort of the distribution model. In this game, Eunice Musa often dropped back, uh, being the, the furthest back of any of the uh, the midfielders, to receive the ball to help build up, uh, and, and oftentimes to receive the ball turn and run downfield and just blow by players uh, in his wake. And he did that reliably against Uruguay. Um, a, a really impressive performance. Uh, one of the first players that Greg Berhalter mentioned in his post-game press conference was Yunus Musa and talked about what a star he was. Now, he did mention uh, just the only knock that you can have against the player in this moment, and that's his final ball. Once he gets into that final position, he has been a little bit slow to release that final pass. And Sometimes, whenever he makes those epic runs uh, from the defensive third all the way into the attacking third, he can be dispossessed pretty easily and turn a uh, great attacking uh, opportunity into a turnover uh, and a counterattack the other way. That's sort of the last thing he needs to iron out. But I feel like outside of that, he's really turned himself from uh, a player potentially impacting this roster to a player that might be a nailed-on starter at this point. Uh, Coming into this window, there were a lot of people talking about potentially Luca De La Torre starting over Eunice Musa, potentially Brendan Aronson or Gio Reyna starting over Eunice Musa. I think Eunice Musa really demonstrated that he is a very important part of this squad uh, and is going to be very important as the U.S. takes on stronger and stronger competition. Now, my third key takeaway, I think piggybacks a little bit off of Eunice Musa, and that's the U.S. men's national team midfield. In particular, how strong that unit has become over this two-game window. I think coming into this game, I I made a video about who's going to step up and be the fourth midfielder, the fourth number eight for the U.S. men's national team. 
after these two games, I don't know if that's a position that we need to worry about. I think Greg Berhalter has introduced some tactical wrinkles that have allowed players like Brendan Aronson and potentially even Gio Reyna down the road to come into that midfield um, and and offer something that we weren't seeing throughout World Cup qualifying. Uh, And that's an important point right there. I think throughout World Cup qualifying, uh, one of the big criticisms of Greg Berhalter, and certainly my big criticism that I lobbied against him in my uh, Berhalter criticism video, was the lack of versatility, uh, the lack of our tactical versatility. We pretty much ran that one shape out uh, and come hell or high water, that was all we were going to do. In these two games um, against Morocco and Uruguay, we, we've seen a lot of different tactical looks. Even in this game against Uruguay, we, we saw a few different looks throughout this game. Uh, I think at first, we, we were trying to get the fullbacks very high up the field, and we were just getting absolutely uh, rinsed on the, the big cross from Uruguay. So we've dropped the uh, fullbacks back uh, to support in the defense a lot more, and, and we allowed kind of um, Weston McKinney to float into that midfield space um, and, and be a little bit more of an attend, a little bit more of an attacking presence with Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa dropping back a little bit further. And that represented a different sort of shape than we've seen in the past. A really interesting shape, a shape that I, I'd like to see a full strength uh, Weston McKinney uh, operate in. It would be really interesting there. I know right now he's a little bit rusty and we saw that rust on display in a few moments, but we also saw his brilliance as a player as well. But I do think that this, this U.S. Men's National Team midfield has really strengthened himself over these two games and and has uh, turned from a position where we're wondering who's going to step up uh, in, from the pool and join this group to wondering how players like Luca Della Torre, for instance, are going to find themselves uh, getting playing time with such a strong group. Uh, and, and I think you really got to give credit to not only the players uh, on the field stepping up, but for Greg Berhalter to uh, kind of having some tactical versatility, introducing some new looks that have allowed other players to come into the mix and solidify this group. My fourth key takeaway, and I think that this is a big one, boys, I think this is one that we've uh, been waiting on for a long time, is over these two games, the Morocco and the Uruguay game, we've seen Christian Pulisic really come alive and really be that star player that we've been waiting for him to be uh, throughout World Cup qualifying. I think throughout World Cup qualifying, there was a bunch of issues with Christian Pulisic. There were some tactical issues where he wasn't finding the space that he needed, where he was getting crowded. And once he would receive the ball, uh, there wasn't the options around him that he needed. I think that there was some issues with Christian Pulisic himself, where he admitted that he was trying to do a little bit too much, where he was taking on too many players. And I think the third thing is that in World Cup qualifying uh, in in the CONCACAF region, you're going to see a different type of soccer being played. And and if you notice throughout World Cup qualifying, when Christian Pulisic would receive the ball, he was getting kicked. He was getting hacked down repeatedly, uh, and he was constantly having to pick himself up off the ground. And in the away games, whenever he would receive the ball, uh, oftentimes he was in a, on a tough pitch uh, where his one-on-one skills were a little bit diminished because the conditions uh, of the ground were not conducive to a real technical play. Uh, so that hurt him as well. In these last two games, we've seen the type of pitches that you'll see in Qatar, uh, like immaculate type pitches, and, and we've seen the type of play that you, you're used to seeing him uh, play over at Chelsea in Europe and the type of play that you'll probably see in Qatar where teams are not looking to hack him down quite as much as we'll see in CONCACAF. And, and then that third component is the tactical side, where I think Greg Berhalter has tweaked some things, and I think that this team has come together and gotten enough minutes together where the understanding specifically 
specifically of that front three uh, of, of Christian Pulisic, Jesus Ferreira, and Tim Weah that we've seen over these two games have really come to uh, create an understanding about where to be and, and how to attack. And we've seen Christian Pulisic be able to get on the ball a lot more to operate both as a 10 and as that last man in the box. We've seen him take players on, and I think he's had a lot more joy over these last two games than we saw from Christian Pulisic throughout World Cup qualifying. This, I think, is absolutely huge. Uh, Throughout World Cup qualifying, we have said that in order for this U.S. men's national team to be at its absolute best, we need our absolute best players to be at their absolute best. And that's not something you could have said throughout World Cup qualifying. Over these last two games, Christian Pulisic has been a difference maker on the field for the U.S. And that's going to pay dividends as we head into Qatar. Now, my fifth and I think biggest and most important takeaway from this two-game window so far is that this team has passed the test. Coming into this window, the question was, how is the U.S. going to perform against World Cup quality opponents? We saw the team struggle at times in World Cup qualifiers against teams that are not up to that World Cup level. And we wondered, how would that transition How would the U.S.'s performance in Costa Rica against the Costa Rica B team uh, transfer over to whenever we're playing a side as good as Morocco or as good as Uruguay? And I think we saw that this team can be a completely different team and this team can hang with just about anybody out there. I'm really excited to see what this squad can do in the World Cup now. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to compete against those top five elite level teams. I don't think that they're quite at that quality, but I think that we've shown that this midfield, uh, regardless of who is making up that midfield, can compete with just about anybody. This back line has the athleticism to hold up. uh, And this front three can take chances. Whether or not they can finish those chances is a is a whole nother discussion for a whole nother video. But in the moment, they can create chances. And if you can do those three things, if you can create chances with your front group, if you can control the game with your midfield, and if you can limit the opportunity of the opposition with your defense, then you can win some games in the World Cup. Oh, by the way, it helps to have a goalkeeper that is really uh, adept at blocking shots, and I think the U.S. has found one in uh, Matt Turner. Now, that being said, I thought Sean Johnson had a tremendous game as well, and if you told me that tomorrow Sean Johnson was starting a game in a World Cup, uh, I would be a little bit disappointed that it wasn't Matt Turner, but I wouldn't be losing sleep over it, certainly not. Uh, I thought he had a good game, particularly in distribution. But I think the more important thing is that in these two games, the U.S. has shown that they can go against top-flight opposition and that their press can hold up, that they can press these teams and be absolutely relentless and turn these teams over and create opportunities that way, that they can build from the back, even against these top flight teams, that these center backs and these full backs that we had questions about absolutely can get it done against this type of competition and that this MMA midfield or whatever version of the midfield that we're throwing out there at the moment, they can get the ball from the defense to the attack. They can create opportunities uh, and they can aid in that defensive press uh, that we've talked so much about uh, throughout this, this road to the Qatar. Now, I think a lot of credit goes to the players. I think we've seen some players step up. I think Eunice Musa has, has really stepped up and become an asset for this team. I I think Walker Zimmerman has really stepped up and become an asset for this team. Anthony Robinson has been a completely different player throughout World Cup qualifying and, and into uh, these two games uh, against Morocco and Uruguay. Brendan Aronson really showed up and, and 
really stepped up and showed his versatility. Tim Weah has been incredible in these two games and has really shown himself to play at an even higher level for the U.S. Men's National Team than he's been playing with at Lille uh, for the past season. And seeing our star boy Christian Pulisic step up and really show out in that role has been a major asset. Uh, but I think the, the even more exciting prospect, even compared to that, is that this isn't the final version of the U.S. Men's National Team, that we've got some pretty impressive players coming back into the fold. I mean, Serginho Dest has not been a part of this window. Gio Reyna has not been a part of this window. Chris Richards has not been a part of this window. And the Weston McKinney that we're getting right now is a Weston McKinney uh, that hasn't gotten many minutes, is, is coming back from injury, and is fighting off a lot of rust. I think that the Weston McKinney we'll get in a few months from now is going to be a much different animal uh, and much more impressive both in the attack and the defense. Things are looking very good for the U.S. men's national team right now. It's a very exciting time to be a fan. And look, I can't close out this section without giving some credit where it's due. Greg Berhalter has received an immense amount of criticism from the fan base over the last two years. There's been a lot of questions about his tactics, a lot of questions about whether or not the things he was doing would hold up against top flight opponents. And I think he's shown uh, all the doubters that uh, he can absolutely compete at this level. Under Greg Berhalter's leadership, the U.S put together two pretty good game plans against two pretty good teams and they showed off some tactical versatility and some flexibility. One thing I always do after games is I try to get uh, feedback from as much of the fan base as possible. I ask people questions about how they're feeling after the game, if anything changed for them after the game. And and I got to say, one of the, the clear things that I'm seeing uh, on the message boards and on Twitter and everywhere else is that the Greg Berhalter hate is at an absolute all-time low right now. There's still people negative and there's still people upset about various things, but there's not too many people still directing their anger at Greg Berhalter. And it's just a really interesting trend to see how the fan base has maybe not supported him, maybe not in full voice behind Greg Berhalter at this moment, but certainly the amount of detractors for Greg uh, coming into this window versus now uh, has been absolutely night and day. So make of that what you will, but I take it as a sign of progress for the squad. Now, the U.S. still has some kinks to work out. It's not all good. Uh, as I alluded to before, that second center back position uh, is still in flux. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I don't think that either of Long, EPB, or CCV have really shown themselves uh, to be a cut above any of the rest. Uh, I, I think Long was the leader coming into this group, and I would imagine that he's still the leader right now. Um, uh, that's sort of my thought on the situation. The other big question mark in this game is, the, uh, the the striker position. Uh, Jesus Ferreira, once again, is getting an opportunity to score goals, not putting away those goals. That's not good for the U.S. We've got to be converting those opportunities, especially considering this is a squad that has struggled to score goals over the long term. Uh, I will say Haji Wright didn't impress me in this game as much as he did in the previous game. I think Haji Wright will get more of a run out in the two uh, Nations League games uh, coming up. So we'll get to see a little bit more of him there. Hopefully both Haji Wright and Jesus Ferreira can get some goals in these next two games. However, considering the decline in the competition, I don't know if big games for either of those players in these next two games will satisfy that question of who's going to be the top striker for the U.S. Men's National Team. And I think Ricardo Pepe is still very much in the mix. 
after this window. And I think the very last question mark for this squad would be the backup left back situation. Joe Scally got a full 90 minutes in this game uh, after getting, I think, what, 20, 30 minutes in the game against Morocco. It was not very good against Morocco. And then once again, it was not very good uh, in this game. I, I think Joe Scally's got a lot of soccer ahead of him and he can very much be uh, one of the top right back prospects or left back prospects for the U.S. men's national team moving forward. Whether or not he's able to get it together for Qatar, it's looking less and less likely at the moment. I have a feeling that our backup left back at the moment is Serginho Dest and that we're going to take three right backs. We're going to take Dest, Cannon, and Yedlin to Qatar. I think that's that's pretty much how it's going to be at the moment. I'm anxious to see George Bello get some minutes to see if he can fare any better uh, than Joe Scally did. Uh, but that's that that concern is is a little bit less and less for me uh, as I've seen some some different options and some different situations for the U.S. men's national team over these two games. So those are my five big takeaways for the U.S. men's national team. What are your thoughts on these two games, specifically this game against Uruguay? Uh, what did you think about the U.S. men's national team's performance? Do you think I missed anything important that needs to be discussed? Who is your second center back right now? Did did your second center back change at all? Because I think what a lot of people do is they have their favorite before the game starts and then whenever there's not a conclusive evidence they'll just be like yeah I was right I was right so it, did your favorite change at the center back position for that second center back I think that's a more interesting question what are your thoughts on the striker situation what are your thoughts on the midfield situation it's going to be really interesting for those midfield spots at this point guys this since 76 store is going to be open for a few more days it's closing Sunday so depending on whenever you watch this video you only have a few days left to get the Kings of Cocky Half shirt after it closes that shirt is no longer going to be going to be available we're going to move on to the next design. So if you want to get that shirt, you don't have a lot of time left. Though I'm not sure yet when we're going to bring out the next design or even what the next design is going to be. If you have a favorite out of like the ones that are in the video, you can let me know which, which one you'd like to see as the next design for Since76. Let me know in the comments section for sure. As always, si puede hablar espanol, dígame un comentario en espanol. If you want the Yank Report in podcast form, uh, please go find the Yank Report everywhere podcasts are podcasted. You can download it. You can can uh, leave a, a review. You can rate it, do all those good things to help the podcast grow. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out, for subscribing, for hitting the like button, for becoming a member, all that good stuff. If you want to directly support the channel, you can become a member. There's different levels where you can become a member and different perks you can get with those memberships. Uh, you get badges, you get some cool stuff like that. Shout out to the tier two members, Manuel Oliveras, Mike Irish, Chris Matassa, Matthew Hanna, and Matthew Doyle. Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Anchor Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.